Hey, welcome everyone to the Game Dev Discussion Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Alex Bellows. And this week, we have a very special guest with Ashthorpe, the creative owner of uh, Alt-C, Alt-Creative, and the host of the Collective Podcast. Man, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Uh, you're very welcome. Thanks for reaching out and for taking an interest. So, I mean, there's one thing, this, this is where I kind of want to start with this, because uh, you're very... Um, you're a hard person to introduce because you don't really sit in any normal box. Like, you know, me, you could put in a box, I'm a video games artist, or you speak to somebody else, or you could put them in a box as a photographer. Depending on, you know, which uh, platform you look at, you get a very different impression of you. Like, you look at your art station, you think this guy's a concept artist. You look at your Instagram, you think, oh, this guy's like a cinematographer and hard surface designer. Look at you know, Alt C is like this guy's a you know a vehicle designer or you know a motion graphics designer. You kind of don't sit in a, a box comfortably apart from just a an artist. Um, is that a deliberate thing? Is that a thing that's come across from happenstance? Um, like, do you subscribe to that? You know, it's it feel it, what it feels like to me when I look at it from the outside looking in is you're just an artist who's having a lot of fun getting to do what you want to do. Um, and it's working out really well for you. Mm. Yeah, thank you. That is by design. I don't really, I've always been kind of afraid of, of the boxes in which people put you under, and I've never tried to claim those boxes. I have a saying that a friend told me that I, he must have heard from somebody else, a paraphrase, basically. It's other people's opinions of me have no business of mine, so I mm -hmm. let people put me in a box, that's fine, but I try to get out of them as much as possible. So. And it's deliberate, like on ArtStation, I specifically show specific type of art there uh -huh. that I feel like is very at home in that ecosystem. On my company site, all creative site, it's like the amalgam, like it's all like the alchemy of all those things combined. And then like on Instagram, it's like, it's like the cars that I'm building or the cinematography stuff, as you mentioned. And, and um, yeah, so it's, it's all by design. And I don't really... You know, I kind of subscribe to the Da Vinci way of doing things, or you know, I, I'm not like a photographer or this and that. I, I'm I'm all the things. I'm literally just a curious human being mm -hmm. that chose art to express myself. It's funny you say you're a curious human being because it's I guess that's also what leads you on to doing the collective podcast. Uh, it's I mean, just speaking from my own experience, it's like it's just raw curiosity, just get seeing what you know what goes on in people's brains, but. With yours, um, I'm going to make a few assumptions, but it's it's always been very interesting to me that it's popular because you very rarely tread a line of like it being a techie interview. Uh, it tends to be, it enters the philosophical realm quite a lot. You enter the, you, know, you talk about life a lot um, and things just are far less tangible and are more abstract. Um, like, does that just come from the, the curiosity side of things or is that just like, you know, what interests you and then in an extension interest the guest sure you know tools software all these things they age pretty quickly and it's a rapid thing so i never felt like it was necessarily to be to discuss those kind of things necessarily i'm more curious of the person the mind the brain that's behind the work that i love the thing about the collective podcast is was a more or less started as a curiosity mm -hmm. of getting to know artists that i love and admire you know, that's one thing about it's beautiful about art is for me at least is I would just only look at the person through the art. I would never see them or I'd only hear their voice, right? So because uh -huh. we just be like we would just do Skype kind of calls. 
so I got a chance to really like love the soul in which they're showing. If that makes sense? Yeah. I get to really feel their art. And so when I get them on the show, almost all the time, they're just a stranger. This is the first time I'm ever meeting this person and we're getting right into it. And after doing like what, 260 episodes or something, I can't remember. After doing that many of them, you can kind of tap into going, okay, this person has something, a gem here. And let's talk about that. Or let's get into that personal side of things. I feel like you know, if there's one thing we can all relate to is being a human, even though we're different in many ways, there's a uh, shared through and through. And I think, I, I mean, I really don't know. It's never been an intentional design for me. It just, I'm only following what my gut feels best. And that's the same for my art. It just, it feels right to just have a real honest conversation with people that care about what they're doing. And there it goes, you know, it just it manifests itself. But with the with the guests, you said you know you, they're artists you admire early on, and uh, you bring one, you get to sort of like see the person behind the art. Is is it difficult to sometimes have an expectation in mind of what this person is, um, or what this person is going to be like because of their online the way they conduct themselves online? Is that ever caught you off guard, or do you you I, I imagine you probably stro- um, safeguard quite a lot against you know going in with preconceived notions of who this person is going to be? Yeah. You know, there was a time, and I've stopped doing the podcast for a while, and so many people have asked me to come do it again. I'm very blessed to have that request, but I've stopped doing it. There was a time where I would spend a little bit of time before, and I'd meditate, I'd go take a walk, and I would absorb that artist's work so that when I came into doing the interview, I could, you know, it's like collecting information. I'm sure you do the same thing, and, and any good interviewer would do the same. But there was coming a time at the end where I was like not extracting or getting the right enough information, and I would kind of like, write out the information like the questions right beforehand but there has been a couple of guests that i've had on i won't name them but they were very surprising at how different they were than what i perceived and uh-huh. that's actually a real big problem because you know expectations lead to odd predicaments. so uh-huh. what i try to do is always go into this completely blank page and react to the uh-huh. stranger in which their work that i love you know we're all born in this skin suit basically <laughs> and we're on this little rock in this galaxy basically which is crazy and i feel that when people are really truly genuinely authentically creating their art it's almost like we're getting a glimpse into their soul that's a really beautiful thing and that's really what i'm most interested in personally it's funny you say you like to react you know react to it live in the conversation because it it's something I learned early on from your podcast because I, very early on we i know you had clinton crumpler on and uh so did i early on and uh, as you know, I knew him. I was working with him anyway. But I was like, okay, I want, let's, let's see what he's doing. And I saw the collective podcast. That's actually how I first came across that podcast. And um, I listened to it, and then I did a podcast with Clinton. And I've never listened. I don't listen to any podcasts where like art podcasts, game art ones, or ones where I might have that guest on in the future. I don't listen to anymore because I remember I listened to your one with uh, Clinton and I did my one and I all of the things I was avoiding talking about things that I wanted to talk about but I felt like oh it's already been tread it's already been covered and it's you know no point doing it so I completely changed went out of my way and went into a place where I'm like well this isn't what I want to do but I kind of have to and in hindsight I'm like okay don't do that again even if it's retreading ground it's ground I want to tread and I want to talk about um, with the person this person says something interesting and I want to cover it but yeah, from, from like that, I was like, okay, if I'm, you know, if I get an artist on, don't listen to their podcast back catalog. Don't, um, you know, 
Because you yeah. end up, go, you know, it taints the conversation. It feels like it ruins the conversation because now, I mean, I know you probably have this way more, but if you speak to somebody and they know you, but you don't know them, you're like, you're at a disadvantage. And oh, yeah. I feel like yeah. I do that to the guest by having this like back out of the list of all the stuff you've said on past podcasts. I'm like, well, I'm at a huge <laughs> advantage in the conversation and it's not, it's no longer a conversation at that point. It's this weird thing. It's a weird interaction. Um, yeah. Do do you have to safeguard? Yeah. yeah, but do you have to safeguard to that? Like, do you do that? Do you are you like? Because you say you like to go in fresh, right? So I'm guessing, do you do a yeah. similar thing where you're aware um, of what you're listening to or what you're taking in about a person aside from their art? Well, I mean, I had the advantage of when the pod, when the collective podcast began, it was like nobody was really doing that. Mm-hmm. They weren't doing podcasts in our little space, right? Like our little. I'll say our space is quite small. The the concept art space or the, I don't know, what do you call it? Cinematography. I mean, I try to bring in a lot of different people. I guess it is kind of big. But anyways, back when the Collective Podcast started, that was one of the reasons too, is I was like, okay, there's nobody's really doing it for our industry. We had like uh-huh. the Joe Rogans and all that kind of stuff. But that was more of like a a bigger, like, you know, uh-huh. UFC and then like bringing on scientists and like UFO stuff and all that kind of stuff. So we didn't have one. So I was at, that was my advantage. I think is there was no, like there was half the guests or like Vitaly didn't ever do a podcast before ours, you know? So I didn't know. And I think, I think I've met Vitaly before we did the podcast. So I knew him as a friend, which was great. And then we did the podcast. So it was like a one, two punch. Uh I had already felt comfortable with him because that, you know, when you interview a friend, it's so much easier to get right into yeah. the zone quickly. You know, the nuances, that's one thing I think a lot of people probably don't understand is doing podcasts, making podcasts, interviewing and good ones. It actually takes a lot of energy, a lot of time um, to yeah. do it well, you know, to be engaged, to be, a, a, you know, that's why, that's why I was saying earlier is like, I've, I pulled myself away from it because it came, became laborious and it took up too much time. And I also, there comes a point in my life personally where I was like, okay, I'm tired of talking. I want to start doing. Yeah. And if all I'm doing is talking, then I'm getting in the way of my doing self, you know? So and that's why I selfishly removed myself from, but hey, you know, there's 200 and some odd free episodes out there that, you know, yeah. there's, there's a couple of cool bits of information from amazing guests on there. So yeah, I'll come back eventually. I'll probably do a couple. I have a couple of ideas. I want to do some. Uh, at some point so a lot of a lot of my close friends their lives have changed recently a lot of my friends have there it's just been crazy one of my friends became like a very successful director another one became a multimillionaire. it was just like there's been a lot of changes uh, yeah. <laughs> to a lot of people's lives since the last time we've done them and these are little time capsules you know so mm. it's cool to look back at them and like reflect and then move forward with it which is really cool so it's it's odd with the the way that like you're right because you they are and it's it's odd because when i describe this to people like oh it, it is laborious it's super time consuming and energy it's more the energy consumption cause i used to do it like weekly and then i was like i need to dial back right. i'm gonna go to w- bi-weekly because it's gonna be if i don't want to do it and it's like i'm not prepared to i'm not my brain's not active enough to want to have a conversation like to have a really good part like i said to have a good podcast you need to like be super on it like you can't just um rock up and like sort of have a generic conversation to have an actual interesting conversation it takes so much energy and it's like they reached a point last year where i was like i need to start i took a break for a bit i think a few months and i was like 
just to recharge mm-hmm. and, re- you know, reevaluate where it was. And it's like, okay, I do want to talk to people, not as often. I want to put more <laughs> effort into each one. Um, I don't want it to become a churn or a treadmill where it's like the content's not great, but there's a lot of it. Um, yeah. So it, it's, I'm actually glad to know that the people share that sentiment um, in that yeah, space. Of course. You know, you have to find your rhythm and your cadence. You yes. Know? And we're in a rapid consumption society world worldwide. So it's like we're kind of used to just being inundated and, and consuming mass amounts of data more so than ever. But I don't necessarily think that's the greatest thing. And I think, you know, you can listen to, you can read one book, it could change your life. You could listen to one podcast, it could change your life. You could listen to one conversation, it could change your life. Uh. You just have to be ready for it. And I really think that those books, conversations, podcasts, whatever it might be, they are only worthy if the people that are participating and creating it are completely engaged. Yeah. And I think it's very, it's interesting. Like when, cause I, I've thought about a few times, like who's listening to the podcast and what they're listening to it for. Um, and like, it's funny you mentioned Rogan as well. Cause like, it's kind of like, he has about 40, 20 different subcategories to his guests. Cause you have a scientist or some political on, and you're going to engage a very specific type of audience looking for a very specific thing. When you get, you know, he gets his UFC fires on and looking for a specific thing. And I, I have wondered in the past, like with the pot, with like an arts podcast, like I, I don't really, it's out, it's selfish. I don't really care too much about what my audience was because the conversation is very much for me. Um, I don't really think of it as a, I'm creating a product for a consumer. I think of it as a, I'm doing a I'm doing a task for me, and it just so happens people like it. But I have thought, I have contemplated in the past. You know, what do people get out of the podcast? Like I said, people sometimes have to be ready for hearing a really good bit of advice or really you know a really good conversation that you know, like potentially changes their life. Do you when you were doing it, doing all of that sort of stuff? Did you ever think who's listening to this? Who's this for? And let that sway what you did or how you did it or was it did it always stay pure to this is what I want and I'm interested in this person and what they're saying and it stayed between you and the guest uh you know I think in the beginning it was definitely that and that's a good it's a good observation it was beginning the beginning of it was a very selfish thing like it's just I want to have friends I want to have talks with my friends and I also want to bring on strangers that I admire and then talk about that when the podcast itself became more successful, I don't know what that means really because I never really looked at the numbers, but it became to the point where um, it kind of didn't belong to me necessarily where the audience was taking over a lot of it and trying to take ownership of it in a, in a weird way. Mm-hmm. I lost my connection to it emotionally because it was like almost like, oh, like you think that because I said that there, that means that and so on and so forth. And then it was like almost like a weapon used against me or some kind of weird way. And, 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 it, and it was only a couple of people, right? Because, you know, 99.9% of the people that are interacting with this are really great people. And they're just mm-hmm. normal people that are just existing and trying to find whatever, I don't know, solace that they have in their lives. Then there's some that are kind of a little off. But, so I think when that kind of happened, it was that was another kind of turning point for me personally when running the podcast. It was like I had when I the moment I had to start thinking about what others might think of what I'm saying, it ruined it for me because it's like then I'm not being genuine. You yeah. know, to me, it's like especially now it's nowadays more than ever is everybody appears to be walking on eggshells because they're so worried about offending somebody that's sitting to the left. And I mean. <laughs> You know, it's it's hard to even have a conversation, a real one. You know, it's 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 hard to yeah. it's it's hard to tread ground, really. You know, and I think 
it's it's a it's a it's a it's a struggle in in a way and not completely but it's just kind of a a bummer i think at the end of the day it's like you know you, you can only do what you can with these things and these are passion projects and they should be driven by passion and i think they should be selfishly driven personally uh-huh. and that's when you really that's when it's really good and you can tell the difference because i've watched I mean, there's a lot of different guys that do podcasts, but I don't know, you know, I, we keep bringing it broken, so I'll just bring him up. But you can tell when he's really engaged in an episode and yeah. when he's not. You could just tell. Yeah. And a lot of, you could just tell that there's an agenda behind some things, you know, because, you know, those guys, they work hard and they put the legwork in. There's there's a whole thing. I've had friends that have been on that and they're like, oh, it's a whole production. Like, it's, there's no joke, you know, like mm-hmm. there's serious work that goes into making these things. So, um, but yeah, long story short, yeah, I think once I, once I stopped letting it be a selfish endeavor for myself, it lost the curiosity, lost mm-hmm. the edge, and then the, it became disingenuine. And then there's like, what's the point? You know? Yeah. It's like there's only so much time in the day. And if I'm doing this for me for free, it belongs to me and the and the guests that are on there. And that's it. You know. Yeah. Any byproduct is 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 a benefit. That's it, you know. Yeah. Tricky, yeah. tricky, tricky thing. Well, it's funny you mentioned the walking on eggshells thing because it's something I'm, you know, I'm somewhat, I don't want to say jealous, but I'm envious of the fact that, I mean, I work in the games industry and uh, look, I love the games industry. I, I, there's a reason I dedicate my career to this, but we're in a podcast where like, I don't want to speak to you as an individual and just talk openly about what you think. And, mo- you know, because of the nature of the industry, people are terrified of blacklisting or speaking out online and like, you know, upsetting their studio or their employer. There's like, yeah. it's very hard to have a genuine conversation. And it's a breath of fresh air when you get somebody come on who is just like, they will just speak as themselves. Um, and I've had in the past, like, you know, studios re- refuse to release podcasts because they're like, oh, well, you know, they're an artist at our studio. And I'm like, well, we didn't even mention your name. We didn't re- reference anything to do with that. I never talk about people's, you know, commercial work. Um, it's very much about their hobbies most of the time and them as an artist and their career. And yet it's like, oh, you can't put this podcast out because we, we say so. And it's very frustrating because it's like, I'm trying to have just a genuine conversation with people and people, any, any guests I have come on, you know, they're ner- most of the time, if they're from the game industry, they're nervous or they're like, you know, I'm just worried about saying the wrong thing. And not necessarily sure. offending people, but just, just like opinions go out. Like if you say, opinions. if one artist said, I don't like Substance Painter, for example, it's like, well, no, actually, you can't say that because it's an industry standard, so you can't say that. And it's like, well, no, they can say what they want, and they can have their opinions. Yeah, what are we living in, some kind of freaking dystopian society? I mean, people <laughs> are so freaking snowflakes, man. People are so so afraid of, like, it's just, like, it's just really frustrating, honestly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, on the other side of things, I totally understand it from, like, a corporation thing. It's like they don't want to have any legalities or issues or, you know, tread. that's because organizations themselves and industries you know that's that's the good there's a good things about it and bad things and that's the Uh bad side of things right so i can totally understand that side of things but at the same time it's like yo uh free speech you know like yeah i mean i'm american through and through so it's like maybe that's just kind of like in my like zeitgeist i guess it's like who i am it's like you know it's power of freedom and all that kind of stuff and i feel like more so than ever it's like people are trying to impede on that every day and it's like dude like if i have a different opinion like let's talk about it if you want and be edu- like let's let's hear each other out or like who cares you know there's a million opinions out there you know like if, if i say like i don't like a certain program 
and I explain articulately why it doesn't work for me and I'm not being a troll, then who cares? Because you can like it. It's like music, you know? It's like, oh, I can't believe you don't like that band. It's like, who cares, right? Because if you're that insecure about your life, then then you're just a snowflake, you know? It's a lot. Of, it's just unfortunate, you know? Like, it's like, why don't, why doesn't people just, most people in general, it's like, just have, have a bearing in who you are. Own your compass and re, be responsible for your own emotions. Don't let people, like, say something so trivial and, like, get all up in arms. It's like, dude, mm. chill out. You know, relax. It's also a sign of like a thriving populace that has an abundance of um, amenities and comfort when little things like that, you know, it's like for people that are in that situation, I come from nothing. I've lived and been around third world countries. So like when that kind of stuff happens, I just kind of pity it. I'm like, yo, you just need to, you need to experience more life. You know, it's like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, because the world is a, it's a tough place and most people don't give a shit about these little things. Sorry, Cuss. I don't know if you. No, if you're you, good. Honestly, most of what I, I, I'm the same. Okay, um, cool. I, I apologize. I didn't know. I didn't forget to ask. Nah, you're good. It, I guess with it's it's very um. The thing I found interesting about it is with this whole people walking on eggshells stuff comes out where like you know I don't know whatever something happens and. It comes from the sort of desired community. Like, so for example, you know, cis white dudes, your opinion tends to, uh, you you don't enter certain conversations as comfortably, Um, which I understand actually to a lot of certain degree, um, there's certain lived experiences. But the thing I found interesting recently uh, observing social media is kind of stuff happens and there's people going, yeah, I knew it. I knew it. I knew that was a thing, but I can't say. And that's the bit which I, you know, this will upset me, but it's like, it's very disappointing to see these people who are scared to say something at risk of losing their career, at risk of upsetting whatever, whatever, whatever the community actually means. I don't really get the idea of community um, because this really all it is is just groups of friends and groups of peers. But we're in a stage of... Uh, what would you call it? Not social media development, but it's, it's I guess, it's, uh, the society where it's like, I, I know a thing, I know it to be true, but I can't say it at risk of losing my job or upsetting people. And that's a very, that, I don't know, that's very concerning to me. Um, it's one of, I spend a lot of time, obse- I'm, you could say I have no life, but I, it's interesting observing Stuff like Discord or uh, social media. So you just watch people's behavior and you can like spot certain things. Like it's funny, the one I've noticed most of the time is I'll see an artist who's been inactive for two years, three years, very happy in their studio. And suddenly they're in Discord again, talking to people and they're in voice chats or they're posting on social media. And all of a sudden I'm going, well, I wonder what the, where they're going. I wonder what they're doing. And then lo and behold, two months later, they announce they're moving jobs or they make it public. They're looking for a new job. And you can inform a lot of information about people and about what people's agendas are via just observing them. And that's a, that, that's a concern I have now where I'm observing people go at saying things they know, going, oh, I, now that thing's come out. I knew it. I knew it was a thing, but I was too scared. I wasn't in a position to talk about it. And I just find that to be very concerning. Not alarming, but concerning. I don't know the, the details of that because honestly, um, I'm just... Either I, I just don't care or I'm just too busy. <laughs> Probably both of those. 
but it's for the best. <laughs> I mean, I got a fa- I got a family, you know, I got people that depend on me. I got so much stuff going on. I have hopes and dreams that I'm aspiring to do. I I think that's killer that you're able to watch and observe these things too. Cause it's like, yeah, there's patterns, you know, and you know, I think, I think it's difficult, right? Like that's that kind of mentality is how like monsters, like the Weinstein guy existed. You know, it's like, Oh, I'm yeah. pretty sure I knew this guy was doing those things, but I just didn't want to say because, like, I wanted the movie deal and so on and so forth. So it's like, but then when the one person opens up, then it's like a dam that breaks, you know, like, yeah, oh, he raped me and so on and so forth. So it's like, it's like monsters can exist in complacency, you know, which is very unfortunate. I think, I mean, it's just tricky, right? I think all in all, I, I just, yeah, there's a lot of temperaments. And I, I guess, too, because, like, I would hear through friends about the game industry and there's all kinds of stuff that's like, flipping all over the place and it's like it makes sense because i think if i understand this correctly because i've not i've worked for games uh video game companies and stuff and that's cool um but i don't know the industry very well what i do know is that like it was a male dominated dominated kind of place because uh-huh. nerds and typically the original nerds were like these guys are made doom and that kind of stuff and then you know then it gets more cultural and there's more people introduced of different ethnicities and also different genders and so on and so forth. That creates a, a new way of looking at the work environment. And then I need to adjust and grow and evolve. And I think through that process, there's growing pains, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, as I understand it, I don't know those details really specifically, but just from the conversations I've had. And, um, you know, growth is hard. Evolution takes time. We're constantly evolving. I think the real trick here is there's a couple things. There's a couple truths that I've discovered through this whole thing, even the racist stuff and everything. It was like all these horrible things. The one thing that I've learned personally is that you need to carry your grace through life. So in every situation you can, you need to carry the grace that you have within you through. So what that means for me personally is like never just judge somebody based on whatever preconceived notions you might have visually of them or whatever you bring your grace to them let them destroy that if they want to yeah but you yeah. bring that you bring that to them because it's 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 like um you know it's, it's it's just it's a complicated thing but for me that's that's my approach in life is like i bring my grace where i can and everywhere basically as much as i can and by grace i just mean kindness and openness and willingness and helpfulness and um, mindfulness and being courteous and all those kind of you know just humane things you know so uh-huh. and then if they demolish that or ruin that it's like well okay well there's a i don't know how many billion people are on this planet but it's like okay well you're one of them that i'm just not going to engage with so it's super yeah. simple you know on to the next one you know so but the, the for the most part 99 percent of the people i've ever interacted with are just super rad people great people that uh-huh. it's like they all have their story they might have flaws you get down to the core of it, you go, oh, you have these flaws because of trigger mechanisms from your past or your childhood or whenever you were innocent, these things were shattered. That's why you are the way you are. So, and that's a whole thing, you know? So, but that's my rule and it seems to work. So, all right, works okay, I guess. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I completely agree because it's like, it's, um, it comes back to that thing as well. It's like, it's interesting when you're on, when you carry stuff like that, where it's like, you know, you, I'll uh I'll have my inter- I'll hear things about somebody but it's like you know I'll have my interaction with you and I'll make judge my opinion based on that. Yeah. It's it's imagine for you it's uh you fall into the category though where people will walk into a conversation with you 
with a lot of preconceived notions because they'll probably listen to your podcast or see your work online and go, okay, well, I know this dude. I've listened to, uh, you know, 200 odd episodes of him talking. Um, and they've already formed their opinion, no matter what, like how it comes across. Um, cause obviously they all vary depending on the guest and the context, what you're talking about. But there's people who will probably enter a conversation with you who think, yeah, I'll probably quote air quotations, think they know you. And then you're kind of, you're on that back foot straight away. Cause you're like, okay, I'm going to enter this and I may know you, but like, Frank, fresh slate, I've never interacted with you. On the flip side yeah. of that, it's, okay, I know all about you, and I know my opinion of you, and I'll start then. You're almost finding an uphill battle of, or mm-hmm. even if it's negative, should I say. If it's positive, it could be, it's a slightly more different dynamic, but just assuming, like, um, new, it's not a neutral starting point. Um, yeah. Is, like, is it, how, can you carry your grace? <laughs> That's my phrase, use carry your grace, like, is it possible to do that when people, you start on that back foot of a conversation? Sure. I mean, if I go into a conversation knowing somebody is a, like doesn't like me, then it's like, that's not my job, right? My job in life isn't to please that person, you know, yeah. unless they're employing me or whatever, so on and so forth. But honestly, <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, again, it's like, I don't know how to say this without sounding like, mean or anything which is like i'm not here to, to please please you you know like i'm here to to, to feed and provide my fan for my family and my friends and that's it <laughs> yeah do my art and be selfish about it but i'm not trying to i'm not a politician i think a lot of people think that they're politicians when they're not i don't i don't see the point of that and also like i don't go out in the world and aim to offend this is not my thing yeah. and if i've offended anybody well i'm sorry and if you want to talk to me about it as adults, we can work through it and hash it out. Sure. But you know, what are you going to do? You know, it's like, it's, tif- it's, it's a, it's a complicated thing, you know? So, but yeah, I mean, I, I recently, I just uh, attended, you know, we have COVID, all that kind of stuff. So uh-huh. COVID it's lasted a lot longer than I think we all wanted it to be obviously, but it's a, I hadn't seen a lot of my friends for a while and uh, like, you know, friends that I, that are artists and all that kind of stuff. And I just went to this event called Camp Mograph up in Oregon this last weekend. I just got back. That was outstanding. And yeah, I, I met a lot of new friends, new people that I've never met before. But, you know, there's a thing when, I don't know how to, it's like a little tell. When I meet somebody, I could see it in their eyes that they either have a preconceived notion of who I am or, and it's either good or bad, but it's interesting because you go like, oh, hi, I'm Ash. And they go, oh, Hey, and then it, there's a click, like, oh shit, like I, even if they've listened only a couple of it, the episodes, these are byproducts that I never thought about when doing the podcast in the beginning. Cause I was like, oh, I'm just going to make the podcast. But yeah, there's ripples of it too. It's good and bad too. It's like people think they know me, but they really don't, uh-huh. you know? And, and, and so like when I'm being a goofball or whatever, and like we're being silly and I think people are like, whoa, what's going on here? You know? So it's it's you know it's, I, I hope people realize and, and and understand it's like I'm not a politician a I'm just a human being I'm flawed I'm also working work in progress my opinions are ever changing and always evolving and um, yeah I'm just uh, I'm here <laughs> I'm just here existing trying to chase my dream my curiosities as an artist you know so but yeah it's it's tough you know there's a lot to be demanded of ourselves more so than ever and I think there's a lot to be demanded on all spectrums, uh, as a spouse, as a parent, 
as a, a working person like and i think this is why mental health is such a, a big issue right now because like there's a lot being demanded of everybody mm. <laughs> all at once and it's um especially when we're starting to head towards like a weird odd dystopian like society it's like the harder that society puts on people the worse that emotional balance the emotional intelligence the um the mental health gets basically so but I don't subscribe to any of that shit. Honestly, I'm just like, yo, like you don't like me? Cool. Have a good life. You like me? Come give me a hug. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm not trying to, uh, not trying to, um, yeah. It's like, of course, I want people to like me, but at the same time, it's like, well, <laughs> can't can't please everybody. So it's very weird because you like to do, yeah. You sometimes you'll meet someone like if you're goofing around and like, oh, this isn't what I thought this person was. Because I was talking to my friends about this. Like, there's. Yeah an infinite amount of you that exists in the world. Like if I speak to, so like, so my really good friends who I hang around with every day, like I'm a goofball. I, I, I'm the clown. I, I'm a, I just take the piss on myself most of the time. And, uh, but it, people are, I'll speak to somebody like when we had an event where we uh, all met up, there was a pre, that, that pre- preconceived notion of like, Oh, this is Alex. And they, all they know is, podcast me that's all the like interaction i've ever had with me so that's what they know of me but then they might see me when i'm around my friends and then it's like i'm a very different person and then there's you know i'm like with my wife what i'm like at work there's like there's a lot of different versions of you and it's yeah. very interesting when um their worlds overlap a little bit like when work so for example when people who know me as work alex at the studio and my friends and that overlaps it's like oh they speak my friends will speak about me in one way and the colleagues will speak about me in another way and you'd think they're speaking about two different people and it's very interesting because then it's like okay well we're like which one's you because they're both you know they're both parts of me um i <laughs> found that very fold. curious <laughs> you got them both you got them all fold <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's yeah they all think i'm pro- all my colleagues think i'm professional like people on podcast think i'm professional and then it's like if you saw in the <laughs> chat it's not good like yeah, I, i'm course. a fumbling mess alter ego yeah, <laughs> yeah alter ego yeah i mean yeah that's really at the end of it that's really what we are and like i said it's like carry your grace everywhere have your opinions but at the same time it's like we all know what's offensive and what's rude there's sometimes yeah. a taking a joke I mean, like, like I said, it's like you could go out and like offensively sell, say, horrible jokes online. I think that's a very bad move because it's just nobody wants that anyways. Or you could tell like that joke to a friend that knows you well enough to know it's a joke. You know, yeah. so there's a time and place for everything, you know. So, which is like, I like, you know, like Ricky Gervais type of humor which is like so off color and it's almost borderline offensively bad but it's like yeah. so perfect because it's it's skating that perfect line so but i mean not everybody likes that you know yeah. so but it's that's you know again the conundrum of it all so but there's it's weird right because no one gets any social et- no one really gets etiquette training right like like you said there's sometimes where the joke is you know it's a joke and that's fine and but would i recommend you go out and like tweet that or whatever no probably a bad move there's a lot of that where i see where i'm like mm, that i that was a questionable move by someone okay fine whatever you choose to do that but there is it's very curious to watch how people conduct themselves and the best example i have of it is frank zang you know one of the greatest characters in the games industry of the, uh, to date 
where you know last of us 2 comes out um people there's divided opinions some people like it some people don't you can't question the art the art itself is masterful but they go to his art station and they're like commenting and being very rude and i'm like the, that's where the training like the lack the lack of etiquette is so apparent because i'm like for me i'm like our station is like a professional platform and you you know who you're talking to you're talking to frank zhang this this isn't some university student this is one of the best and you're saying incredibly rude um things uh, uh, about it. and i'm like did and i, I always scratch my head so i'm like did no do you not does this not make a connection to you that this is a bad move long term like your net, it's not like social media where you have a fake, you could just put a fake profile. Like that's you, and that's out there on the internet for forever. And it's it's very weird. That's the bit when I'm say I observe social media. That's the bit I find most interesting. Just people don't think through what they're saying enough to go, okay, this isn't going to age well. This is gonna be very bad yeah. for me in the long run. But it's very odd. Yeah, like I said, you don't get no training to it. Um, yeah. You just sort of left to, fit, you know, you get thrown in the water and you have to learn to swim. Yeah, you know, I think, um, yeah, if I could talk to any of the younger artists or just people that are coming up, I would say probably not best to to do that. Um, but yeah, at the same time, it's like, hey, it's your freedom. It's your yeah. freedom. It's you, you. So at that at that point, if you're an artist and you're going on, and, and you know, I found that only artists really hate on other artists. It's weird. It's like yes. artists are so hard on other artists. I mean, we're it's, hey guys, like chill out, right? We're all like struggling together. Let's like unite a little bit. But no, nah, it's not gonna happen. Nah. Unfortunately, artists are usually most artists are very incredibly insecure um, people, and they just use every bit of their existence to like rehab it on other artists um but that being said yeah i think that's a bad move but at the same time flex your thing if you're drawing a line in the sand like hey i don't like this thing and you want you're so adamant about it publicly and you're willing to career suicide yourself on the chance of ever being um, introduced or involved in that kind of process then okay stand by it whatever that's your that's your call you have the pride and the ability to do so it's just that yeah i mean that's what blows me away i've never i've never written a comment on youtube and anytime i've ever written anything on instagram it's like hearts and love and like and maybe Mm. i'm wrong for doing that but it's literally like if i don't like something i just simply don't engage with it when i do like something i i try to support it and foster it even today it was like a random moment i get a thought and i have a friend my my friend's matthias um, he is, he's like the marketing, I think, I believe he's like marketing outreach manager or so. I don't know, you know, he's, he has a specific title, but he works for Maxon Cinema 4D and I've known him for like eight years or something, but he is like such a gem of a person. And today I was just thinking like, man, I love him. He is such a great person. I just recently saw him. So like on Twitter, I just said like, um, just want to give some shout out to some love to this very important person and how he's given a lot to the community. And it was like, I didn't have to necessarily do that, but I feel like there's, there's too much of the negative side on things and mm-hmm. I don't interact with it. And I felt like, you know what, I'm going to try start doing that. I'm going to go like, this person was incredible and I worked with them and they're awesome. And just put those little love nuggets out there. <laughs> if nothing, it just feels good to give somebody like love basically, you know, and like to share that. So I'm on a tangent here. I'm just showing the opposite side of it, you know. Yeah, so yeah. like, if, if if you're if you're like 
you know, because we all we've all been there, right? When we were young or teenagers and had very strong opinions about stuff that we really didn't have any, like, yeah, we didn't, we weren't allowed to have those opinions, but we did have them. The problem is, is that we're all living in the internet, and the internet is a document basically, huh. and it's recording your actions. You know, it's like NFTs or the Bitcoin kind of thing. You know, it's like the blockchain. It's like it's all going to be documented, and a big part of what we're going to do is going to be documented. So it's like. If there's ever a place that you're going to carry your grace, like I would definitely carry it online. And I wouldn't be, but this could be counter to what you were saying earlier, where people are too afraid online and they're afraid to, to say, to speak their voice. So I think it's kind of interesting because our conversation has gone full circle where we were kind of like asking why people don't speak up. But then when they do speak up, they're like, okay, don't speak up that much, you know? Yeah, or don't yeah. say, <laughs> so it's like a, it's a very thin line. It's, it's, you know, there's there's something like when I have interactions online, when I make something right, and you get the obvious like, I hate it, that's dumb, or you suck, or whatever, right? And then those people, I just block them because I'm like, well, see ya, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's my solution is that you don't like it, then you'll never see it again. So, and then there's the people that actually like, they kind of they don't make a dissertation, but they articulate their critique basically. And sometimes they go like, you know, I, I instantly get angry because I'm like, oh, crap. Yeah. And then I have to see their credentials and I go, okay, well, there's no point. In, I don't see why you think that you have the place to, to critique me. But then I go, okay, let me see if there's anything valid here. And then they use complete sentences and, you know, grammar was on point, spelling is on point. I said, okay, I'm going to engage with this person, at least give them like, hey, I appreciate that. Even if I don't give a shit, I'm like, I'm trying to foster like, hey, that's cool. You know, but for the people like that, what I really want to say is like, you should really get off the internet and go make something worth talking about, you know, mm -hmm. rather than critiquing, you know? So <laughs> yeah, I've, inter I've interacted with quite a few uh, people like that. And it's a bummer because it's like, damn, you could be amazing. It's just like, I don't know, you know, and you're spending all your time like engaging by critiquing. It's like, you have a lot of balls. <laughs> it's like crazy. Yeah. but with that though i think it's uh it's it's you know when you say like you could be like you see like i said they're articulate they're thinking but like they they could be great it's when it is quite uh nice i guess a, a nice way, awful awful word but um there's <laughs> people i've observed in the community in the games industry mainly through discords like i said that's sort of where i spend most of my time and you sort of you have an interaction with them and you're like you've your head's screwed on you just you know needs a bit of polishing uh and you sort of you just lose track you, you stop paying attention and then you see that person in a few years and you're like oh shit like they've really done something they've done good like and you speak to them and you're like you just your last interaction with them was like say three years ago four years ago and you speak to them again you're like oh you're a different person you've really you, like use what you had there and it's like it's like it's, it's such a pleasant feeling when you just sort of go okay like you wasn't one which got wasted away like you really took that you know, that brain of yours and put it to good use it's yeah. uh it's really nice to see like where you, it gives you a little bit of hope right just to go okay yeah. there's yeah. this potential in everybody you yeah exactly you want to hope that we're all evolving in some capacity you know like and like i said it's like you know, the grace thing didn't happen to me until later when I realized that that was really the solution for me personally. So it's like, 
by that it's like okay like i'm not going to go on and like start hating on people it's like that's not a graceful way to do it you know it's like and if i have any you know there's i used to like critique films in a way like i guess i would do it sometimes like I'd be, i don't really like that movie or blah, blah blah i said it enough times where i was like okay i need to stop saying that because uh. i don't i don't know how to make a movie yet so i should go try to make a movie and then by by the act of me just failing miserably for years to try and make something of value that was a movie oh, i realized like wow i had no idea and how spectacular uh spectacular it is to make something and how challenging it is and and that goes through for everything it's like you could be living in a country and disagree with the political system and then critique it to no end but you don't know the full agenda like you know like uh all these things you know everything is very complicated you know so um but yeah i mean it's to have an opinion is cool everybody has them they're cheap and easy and that's why people use them and that's what makes social media so addicting because it's like bam bam here's my here's my emotion here's my opinion and it's cheap and it's free and i'm just putting it out there but what i would urge people to do is like maybe think about it a little bit and think about it to the point where if you were to receive that how would you feel mm-hmm. and really think about that and go like oh shit if i'm being honest with myself if i'm what's the guy's name frank he said frank zang yeah frank zang so like if like think about if you were to write some hate towards him, like think about how you would feel, you know, and like, does that feel good? Probably not. You yeah. Know? <laughs> but at the same time, maybe he needed to see it. I don't know. You know, it's like maybe, maybe it all kind of makes sense, you know? So, but you know, I think there's, there's two ways to it. It's like, Cause like with him, it's like, well, I mean, is he part owner in the franchise or how's no, that he's, uh, I think he's like lead, lead character, so director of character, uh, for, for last of us okay no, well, I, I mean hopefully hopefully he's wealthy enough to like not care about that kind of stuff you know? <laughs> and not even money wise but like spiritually you know it's like you know spiritually wealthy enough to be like you know i could take a wall of hate and be like well you know it's like i know who i am and what i've done and i'm proud of that and my family loves me so it's like well, whatever you know so yeah you know being a human is a very complicated thing you know and we're constantly changing and evolving i think the internet is some very crazy things it's doing a lot of stuff to us psychologically um you know and i think it's like i mean look at what covid it's it's almost like i wouldn't i'm not comparing the internet to covid but i'm saying what's interesting about covid is that it's unified and divided but it's mainly it's a thing that we can all relate no matter yeah. who you are, whatever country, in 20 years, we're going to all be able to go like, man, remember 20 years ago when COVID happened? Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. We were all affected by it globally. This is, you know, we had the plague, you know, many centuries ago and so on and so forth. There's been a couple bigger things that have happened. But like, you know, like in America, 9-11 was a big deal to us. It was a mm-hmm. big problem. It was a big issue. But I realized later, it's like, it's not a big issue to people in, say, France, you know? Yeah. It wasn't yeah. like... And but when it comes to COVID, it's a universal universal thing. I think that's the same thing with the internet; is it's a universal kind of place, basically. And um, we're still learning how to use it because it's another dimension, you know. And uh, yeah, it's. I just say, be careful what you use. So, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's carry grace as much as you can too. So, and if you have a big problem with somebody or something, like really try to get to the bottom of it, understand why you have a problem with it, you know. So yeah yeah and then find a solution within yourself you know it's like some people you know i think it was i forget who said it but it was like 
be the solution of the world you want basically it's like you know make make this like if you see a problem you be the one to take responsibility for solving that if you don't mm -hmm. feel like you're represented or your race or your gender is represented properly in a certain place and like you be the one to positively bring it in you know and mm -hmm. like not in like some kind of weird fascist way but like be like yo like i think you know my gender is really killer for this because we have this really cool angle you know check out the mm -hmm. strength that we have that like could be really cool to add to this alchemy you know like that mm -hmm. approach rather than being like i'm coming in and i'm entitled because x y and z and it's like whoa what <laughs> yeah yeah and i think that's a very negative and weird approach and i think nobody really likes that you know so it just but, comes hey, off as disingenuous I right i think it comes off as um disingenuous and um wrong ethically wrong <laughs> in, in every capacity and i think people aren't speaking up about that because they don't want to be you know stepped on from the wave of insanity so which is a ton of it so <laughs> we've all interacted with it and it's unfortunate you know so but you know everybody has like we said you know everybody everybody is entitled to their opinion but everybody needs to understand that they're entitled to the response of that opinion you know so mm -hmm. like if you <laughs> if that makes sense so god we sound like a couple of politicians up here you know so it's, it's like this is what happens when you put two podcasters you get two podcasters that you're, you're yeah. in trouble yeah seriously running around in circles in here so yeah but well yeah, but there is one point i want to come back to which you mentioned the cinematography side of stuff and like you said you know you, yeah. know, you want you decided you want to get into um you know you're critiquing films you're like you know what i don't know how to make this so i'm gonna try and make it yeah um yeah. what does that like so i'm a, i feel like i'm in kind of a it's not a similar place but i'm in a place where i'm like okay there's something i wasn't good at and i'm trying to trying very hard like to to do um good especially as a creative it's like you you know you made a whole profession on one thing like so 3d environment art and then it's like okay i'm going to completely step sideways and try photography and cinematography and it's mm. kind of like it's very hard to one let go of like you know the ego like i'm good at i'm good at what i do okay now i'm dog shit like i now i'm really bad and i need to sort of be okay with that how was that for you like because you've stepped in cinematography and i'm not suggesting there's dog shit but you, you get my point that you've gone from being uh world renowned to yeah. in this field to like sidestep into a completely new field yeah how was that experience for you like was it frustrating did you actually enjoy because i enjoy it for me personally but was how yeah. well, how did it affect you you know, that's a great point. I appreciate that. There's a certain level of professionalism that I have to, to kind of carry through. And that's a bummer because I can't be treated as a student anymore. Yeah. Because I'm expected to bring a caliper at a level at all times, which is really shitty because when you do start something new, you're, no matter who you are, you're a novice. There's certain callings that I personally feel that I have, that there's like certain things, affinities, basically. It's like, you know, cinematography, it's definitely a, a, a when I'm doing it, it's like I love I love it so much, and I and I know that I love it because a day can go by and I don't even realize like time is just is gone and everything outside of that is just gone, and that's when I know that I'm really doing the right thing. So when I was pivoting, so like in my the beginning of my career, I had started out prologue and then I was working as a designer and I was I kind of fell into this UI thing. I didn't even know what UI stood for, and I didn't even like. It wasn't even a thing. I just was like, oh, this is cool. Like those graphics and like, and I had an affinity for design and way things typeface and letter forms and, and building out like style and all that kind of stuff and vectors. 
So that became a thing. People were saying, oh, you're a UI guy. I'm like, okay, that's cool, but like, not really, right? Mm-hmm. I'm more of other things. And so, so then I pivoted, basically, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do car stuff. And then I designed the Batmobile. That was cool and worked on these other things. That became a, a car guy thing. And now people are like, oh, you're a car guy. And I'm like, no, I'm actually a cinematographer. <laughs> so basically what I'm doing personally is like, I'm not... I'm not mastering any of these things, but I'm getting to the highest level that I can. And then I'm jumping to the next thing. And that's just an interest. And I fall into those interests based on like curiosities. So like, I'm so into cinematography now. Like, let me see if I can grab this so you can show you on the camera. Sure. Is this podcast video? Yes. Yes. Oh, it is. Okay, cool. Um, I don't know if you could see it. It's holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) This is a, this is my super dark in here. Sorry, my studio stays kind of dark. No, no, it's all good, man. <laughs> but um, yeah, this this is my anamorphic setup. I love anamorphics, right? And uh-huh. anamorphic glass is very expensive, though. So unfortunately, so yeah, oh, you got the Suri, Suri. Yeah, yeah, dude, this 1.3. thing is. Uh, this is the fifty mil. It's one point eight. But yeah, animal, dude. Yeah, like. My director here was like anamorphics, like they're what you want. And I was like, I was searching and it's stuff like that you just showed. It was just frantic rigs. I was like, dude, I've like got some yeah. shitty little Sony camera. I can't do that. So yeah. nice. Well, this this rig is actually quite small comparison because I built it. Um and it took me like two years to like find the pieces and like because it's got like, you know, I had to find the right body and get familiar with that brand mm-hmm. and how it worked and understand like so I, I've gone through Sony cameras, I've gone through the Blackmagic stuff, and now I'm at Lumix, and I mm-hmm. have a S1H. S1H is, I love it. It's as close as I've seen to an RE Alexa, mm-hmm. and the way that it renders data and also the quality of color and color space is very close, which is, um, that's my goal, is I want to have a mini RE Alexa, basically, yeah. without spending the money. So it's amazing. It's a really incredible camera. And then, you know, you have, I shoot, I like a lot of vintage glass and the way that that kind of portrays light and stuff. And, and then, um, then I have anamorphic adapters that connect into this whole thing. And there's a front variable adapter and it's a whole thing that I really fell into. And it took me two years and I'm, I'm obsessive. Like if I have a puzzle, I'll just scratch at the puzzle every day until I solve it. I finally just read, just finally solved my anamorphic puzzle. And now like, I just went out and did a tech scout with my actor for my next, I have two short films I've been developing mm-hmm. and I, and I did a tech scout and the footage I got back from it, it just made me so happy because it looks like I, I, I can't, I, it's hor- It's bad for me to say that about my own work, but it looks outstanding. Yeah, I'm yeah. super proud of it. I'm very blessed to, to have that experience. And like, so, and when I saw it, it just made me want to double down on the project. Cause I'm like, okay, my camera works. My actor looks incredible. The plot is working. The blocking's working. So all these big mechanisms that are incredibly complicated in regards to making movies, I'm starting to check off the boxes, you know? And so, because mm. it's a big puzzle, the production of making a movie, especially the way that I want to make a movie, which is like me and my actor and like sound and focus puller and that's it. Yeah, so yeah. it's just three or four of us so I keep it really light and nimble and work really fast and very crafty, you know? So, um, but anyways, long story short is I really don't care what people think. I can't, I can't be concerned with what they think because they don't know who I am and they don't know who I'm going to become and the potential in which I have within myself. 
mm-hmm. I I'm gonna go out there and just be my genuine self and like you know if I like cinematography I'm with what I'm gonna do if I like cars I'm gonna do car things like if I like video games I'm gonna do video games like it doesn't matter to me it just needs to be the thing that I'm most purely engaged with you know if I like concept art like I did a my you know video games so you know Mortal Shell right yeah 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 so Vitaly. And his friends, Dimitri and all those incredible artists, they all got together and they made Mortal Shell and it's like this incredible game. They gave me, uh, I asked Vitaly, I said, can I just do some paintings of this stuff? Because it's so rad. I was supposed to just do a a couple paintings of them and then like, here you go, just for fun, right? Because Vitaly's my friend. Well, they gave me some of the game assets. I'm like, this is so brilliant. So I ended up doing like 60 paintings or some some so forth, you know? So, And I just fall into it it's like everything it's like falling in love with the thing and engaging yourself looking at the best work out there understanding where you are in comparison to that and then build towards it and then try to surpass it in a way where you aren't matching them but you're authentically your own self yeah rising rising above your own expectations you know or not expectations but like your own abilities daily basically you know so and that was a bit of a like a I accelerated that that process because I had incredible assets to work with, you know. Yeah, yeah. They had already gone through the stages of like designing these incredible characters and then rigging them and lighting them or not lighting them, but like having the texture. So I had like incredible tools, right? And then yeah. I just took them and put them through my lens, my painterly lens. And that was like that's the stuff that I have in like art station or like um but anyways, that's another facet, you know. So and all this stuff, the cinematography and the photography has actually inferred my CGI work so incredibly. It's helped so much because we have a tendency as CGI artists to live in the, in the computer and then to kind of be, um, uh, what would you call it? Like we're like constantly feeding on the same pool of CGI. I don't mm-hmm. try to, I try not to ever look at CGI when I'm making something. Mm-hmm. I look at the real world because nature and all that kind of stuff is what inspires me most so photography gave me a way to kind of like be creative on in travel situations and it also allowed me to see the world through the glass yeah, so yeah. That, that gave me so much data and such a raw like because i would go in and i would tweak out and freak out about like the way that the the lens would capture light and then when i'd go into to the render i'd go okay well, this is a little different and then i would find the way to blend the two you know so and those things inferred one another. So the best thing that get, that happened to my CGI was taking up photography. It, I, I have to say, it's the same for me with uh, environment art. Like it's it's it is so like even within a niche field of photography, like you can become so esoteric when you get like so anamorphics. And like you yeah. talk to people, like at a surface level, you talk about anamorphic, and they're like, oh yeah, you get really wide aspect ratio and horizontal lens flares and oval bokeh, and it's like, okay, cool, like that's an interesting facet, and you start you like. I'm so used to my, I, I use mainly Sigma lenses and it's razor sharp, like digital photo yeah. sharp. You have the art, art series? Uh, yeah, I have the uh, 35. I've got actually recently got a 105 and oh mm. my God, it's amazing. But yeah, it's a good portrait lens, like a 1.8, 1. 1.5. It's 1.4, the, uh, oh, 1. 4, the 105. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a big beefy one. Boy. Yes, it's a, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah. beefy boy. Um, yeah. Great. But yeah. it's very interesting. Like when I'm using the anamorphic, it's it has like that little way. Like I said, the way it captures light and detail, 
and it gives a very different effect. And I couldn't really put my finger on it because um, the first time I first used it, I was like, I was so used to how sharp everything was on the Sigmas. I was like, oh, this is a little bit like different. I'm not sure I like it. And yeah. then like, you sort of you start editing it and you get used to the look of them, and you're like, okay, I really uh, dig this. And then you're like, yeah. I go to three D, and I'm like what is it like it's not just oval bokeh or oval hot no. flares it's not that it's because no. if it was that no. i could just crop in my frame and get yeah. that look it's like that's what roger deakins does he shoots spherical and does crops you know yeah so, yeah. yeah i mean that aspiration yeah. is very aesthetic but i mean like, there's that feel that you get with the animal like the way it captures the image and i'm like yeah and like i said it's so uh, it's very esoteric in a sense of most people don't even get like you talk anamorphics everyone jumps to the bokeh and lens flares sure and it's yeah. like no this is like step further which i can't put my finger on really and I, I'm, I'm still very new to this so like i haven't really articulated a lot of or understood exactly what's going on but it's definitely informed my art in terms of 3d and game art more because you Good. also start to appreciate like what goes into an image and what makes an image interesting because in game art you have all the action and fancy stuff and animation to make it interesting when you just got a still image it's like how can i tell a story or how can i lead you through an image and it's what's really highlighted actually why I'm so bad at it right now. It's like, yeah. I can make an interesting image if I have a really, really good subject. But then I've seen some of the best photographers, some of my favorite photographers, and they're like, what would be a very mundane image and they make it interesting to look at. And I'm like, that's that's mastery. And it's so nuanced and subtle, but it's like, that's what's really intrigued me about it. And that experience of just going through and unearthing like layers and layers and layers that's the bit i've been finding very interesting and i imagine it's probably going to be the same it's been the same for you when you're building your lens it's like i need this piece and you research that piece obviously there's other alternatives and you've gone through like multiple cameras like you said and every single yeah. one is this captures the color side slightly differently captures the light slightly differently and it's like yeah. you just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and it's fun it's so i, I laugh when I, I mean we went on a trip recently um to scotland and it was like I captured everything terribly. Like, um, complete, I should have took my tripod. I was trying to handhold a bunch of stuff. It was terrible lighting. And me and my friend, Jason Ord, we were just like, we were laughing. We are like, okay, like, this was a terrible experience in terms of actual content being generated. But we learned so much from that trip. And we're like, this is great. Like, this is so fun. Like, we're so used to being professionals. It's so yeah. fun to make stupid mistakes and be like, okay, cool. We get to, you know, next time we don't do that. It's very hard to get to that space as a professional. Yeah, that's great that to hear that because you you know that's you need to, in order to learn you have to embrace failure, right? And that's a mm -hmm. part of the formula. And that's one thing that I'm learning a lot recently with working with my actor Tyler is that you know I kind of gave up on the whole dream of making films and doing them because it was like I didn't want to necessarily fall into the system that I've seen my friends go to because I just it doesn't interest me. I don't. I don't like doing long meetings and lots of emails and then wasting months of my time to like have projects go nowhere. And that's almost the, what I've seen them all go through. I'd rather yeah. just make the art. So anyways, long story short is he was like, look, write whatever, write your story. And so I've been writing like, my scripts and all that kind of stuff. And he was like, let's just go out. And I said, look, the only way I'm going to do this is like, you know, I'm, I'm decent at CGI because I sit for 16 hours a day for years on end. But if I want to become a director, I need a lot of seat time. I need to know what my style is, but you'll never know until you try and fail. So we've been re working through this process where like, I'm learning from him as an actor, how to work with him, how to pull dialogue, how to block scenes, make sequences, so on and so forth. 
by doing that process, it's just a learning process. But I'm able to, I always say like, I, 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 I fail privately and I try to succeed publicly. Mm-hmm. But I'm constantly failing privately so that I can succeed publicly. That makes sense. It's like showing the best, you know, crop or whatever it is that I'm building. But the way that something that's shot anamorphically, it's the compression and the width at the same time. And I think it's kind of a, akin to the way that I view the world in a romantic way, if that makes yeah. sense. It's like I see wide and I see deep. So it's like it's like both of those things combined. And then you just when you when you get a subject in there and you look at it, it's for me, you know, you can capture anything on any camera, right? We all have them on our phones and so on and so forth. But when you look at, say, I sit there and I'm like capturing this thing on my phone, and even if I have an anamorphic adapter on my phone, there's such a difference when I'm doing like two X anime, two X anamorphic, so true CinemaScope anamorphic, because like the Suray is at one point three three. Yeah, yeah, times squeeze. Yeah, what's well, this squeeze? And it's made for um, micro four thirds, I think, sensor. Yep. So it's made for the smaller stuff. So. Um, I, I have I specifically chose the full frame, which is like a, a full frame on the S1H. It's the it's the height that you want because everything stretches. So it's like 14 yeah. mil, which is a pretty good negative because the whole the whole sensor is quite big. But it, we're getting into nerdy stuff, anyways. But I mean, this is like I became like a like a, a, a beyond a hobbyist with optics. And you know, in the beginning, I was like, "What makes there will be blood look so good?" That was my pinnacle to I'm trying to match that film, like yeah. just the quality of the optics because they use Panavision, I think, uh, um, lenses, which is, you know, to get a, a Panavision um, prime is like anywhere from like 60,000 to like 150,000 or so. Oh, and the whole okay. set's like we're, we're looking at a quarter of a million for a used set of Panavision stuff, kind of like that. So these are lenses that you would rent. Well, I mean, I'm not going to do that. You know, yeah, I want lenses that I could use and work with and play with and have them on me at all times. So, but anyway, anyways, long story short is um, it's a quest and I love it and you have to love it. And um, yeah, it's like, I love it so much and it's informed me as an artist in so many ways and the way that I look at things. And when I come back to the computer, noticing those things, it, it, like you said, and I actually, I've specifically built my lens set to not have flares. I have one, okay. I have a, in a, a Pekawa, 16h which is a very rare anamorphic adapter here that my friend ozon actually lent me this one has more character a lot more um it's similar to like the russian old soviet russian lenses that have this like curly bokeh and the way it kind of warps the image it has a little bit more of that personality um kind of similar to if you watch uncut gems they use kind of some lenses that kind of have that and yeah it's kind of crazy too once you know all this stuff when you watch films you, you can just go like I'll just freeze a frame and I'll just look at, you know, like I was watching Killing Them Softly shot by Greg Frazier and I love his work and he shot that anamorphically and I was just like watching how, you know, the veiling glare and and how it was casting light and where were the distortions and like how he mm-hmm. framed everything because obviously with anamorphic, you don't want to put your subject too far to the right or left unless you're purposely trying to distort them because yeah. they end up warping because the way that the optics work, you know, so, but yeah, it's a whole thing. And I'm quite yeah. obsessed with it. So, you know, it's cool. I love it. And you said earlier, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd obsess over something and you'd get really into it until, and until the next thing. Um, 
I mean, at this point, um, from my outside looking in, it seems like you've uh, touched on nearly every aspect of creative media. Mm-hmm. Do you think now yeah. is the stage of you're just enjoying yourself um, in this space? And I guess with that as well, are you, do you think it's... Do you ever look at the old stuff you did? The stuff you started, you said you started off with like, typography and UI. This you today with all of the stuff you've done now and like all the experience and a different way you look at the world like even just like you said you can watch a film now and you're so obsessed with the lenses and the glass you're like you're picking up the characteristics of um something like that something so nuanced like that do you ever get the thought of okay if i went back to like just the typography or ui like what does that look like for somebody like me now because you are a different person to who you were back then you're a different artist to who you were back then does, mm-hmm. does that ever like sort of scratch your curiosity um i mean i guess i haven't closed those doors i just don't it's almost like i have a house i i I put that set of furniture in that room and i'm just like it becomes a guest bedroom and i rarely frequent it but you know i do like um i mean i still do typography stuff and graphic design stuff i mean i guess a quick example would be is i just just designed a new motorcycle a digital one and then like i make deliveries for it but you know that stuff becomes so second nature for me. I could do it incredibly rapidly because I have the so many miles in that. Yeah. So I'll literally like build a livery or like the way that I feel like it should look very quickly, like, you know, in a couple hours or something like that. So, um, but that's just because I have the muscle memory and the speed of it. Mm. I don't really, I try not to ever really look back to be completely honest. The quest yeah. that I'm on currently, the biggest challenge that I'm going for now, which I think is the biggest it's like it's like my you know the the whale and um a moby dick and the whale yeah the moby dick you know it's like that's my whale is like um making a uh a sh- uh, right now i'm starting small i have two short films and i'm i'm writing them basically solo i have influence from friends that would give me notes and stuff but the ideas and the inception of that the way that the script is written the story the pacing i'm doing all that and then i'm working with actors so I'm learning how to work and navigate that. I'm building all the props. There's another thing. I'm shooting it. I'm going to be editing it. I'm going to score it. So I'm basically doing all, everything as much as I can. And the visual effects and all that kind of stuff as well. And the visual effects pipeline. Also, like hopefully I'll have some help from some amazing friends that will <laughs> would be willing to help me with some of the, the oddities of it. But anyways, long story short is it's like almost like the Conan wheel of pain. Like I'm going through the wheel Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that it'll give me a lot of information so that if I grow into a bigger part of that role, I will know the nuance if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So if I'm asking somebody, if I become a bigger director than I am now, when I ask somebody of a specific task and it's kind of like, you know, a falling in suit from like Gareth Edwards, which he made monsters and then he went off and made, Godzilla stuff and then he went off and made Rogue One and I don't know where he's doing now but anyways I'm referencing Rogue One because that was really his goal he made a he did this incredible talk on South by Southwest where he broke down his whole career and the the path that he got I don't know if you've seen that talk no I haven't I'm it's outstanding watch it, oh please do and everybody listening please watch it too because Gareth I think we can relate a lot to just the 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 tenacity that he had in order to like manifest his dream which was to make a star wars film and i think rogue one is a testament to his love of of that franchise too because it's quite awesome so yeah but anyways long story short that's literally the 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 quest so if i look back on like the design side or the typography side i definitely love that 
but it's just one small little fraction of whatever it is I'm doing. That's like at this point, it's like, okay, the title card, you know, and like, and then if I build decals for the world or something like that, that'll be there. But it, it comes so quickly. It's like, yeah. bam, bam, bam. I know all the tools I know how to get to it. And it's like rapid, like it becomes second nature. It's very quickly to do. I'm always looking for the thing that pains me. Yeah. And understand why it pains me, you know? So, so, to come back to a previous point we were talking about um, about the cinematography and the directing. Do you um, like I said, for me to do like photography, I mean, it's not really anything. Like, I'm known as a games artist, and like no one really, there's no expectation of my photography whatsoever. Yeah. You mentioned you feel like there's a slight different pressure for you because like it's a uh, people expect it to be as good as all you ever were because you've obviously been proficient in multiple fields. So is that um. When you're when you're doing these films, these these short films, do you feel the pressure, or is it just pure enjoyment and exploration and sort of almost childish curiosity at this point? Like, do you feel that pressure, even though you know it's there, um, or is, does does it not get in the way of the enjoyment? I definitely feel the pressure, and mm-hmm. I think the pressure is mostly self-made. But I don't, right. you know, it's it's a fine balance because like if you put too much pressure on it, it'll ruin you and the experience of actually making the thing. So it's like. To be very cautious of that because you don't want to you don't want to cause yourself to hate the thing by the pressure that you've put upon yourself so that being said is like i know that there's an outside force and by the outside force i mean that that's the people that are going to view it and critique it but i'm at this stage in making it it's like i referenced this today in another conversation i had is like i learned a big lesson from tom york from radiohead in an interview i think i read or heard from him but he said that they're I'm paraphrasing again. It's like he said that they're his favorite time in making music is when like they're making the music and creating it. The worst time for making music for them is like when they have to release it because it's no longer theirs and it's this pure thing that they made and everybody's like, oh, I don't like that song, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, Tom felt completely connected to it emotionally. It's like, you know, it's 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 a really complicated thing. So I, I think I think I had some I've I have some outside forces that are definitely weighing on my conscience with it, but at the same time, um, I really just can't be concerned with it. I have to just literally follow my heart with it. And, you know, I'm not trying to be too precious with it. You know, every, because it's, 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 it's one thing I've been doing as an exercise too. I stopped watching masterpiece films for a little bit because I get really depressed. Let's say like I'm watching No Country for Old Men, for example, and the way the camera moves. It's like, I don't have a $20,000 dolly or hundred thousand dollar dolly and an operator and like a whole crew and like i mean and when i'm shooting it's like i don't have a whole set built with the lighting that i want you know i'm working with yeah. what i have so i'm watching films from directors that i love that was like some of their early first films and seeing how they overcame those adversities you know mm-hmm. so i can kind of get a better pace and tone because before i used to just watch like you know we all wanted to only watch like the success stories right like we only watch george's like first star wars we don't watch the other ones the jar jar binks ones you know we like we all as a collectively we should no i'm just joking i'm not saying not, i could get into that but you know in regards to that like i would watch thx 1138 a lot because it's like you can tell george was discovering his filmmaking style you know from thx to make american graffiti and then you combine those two boom star wars you know you add joseph campbell sauce in there and then you get star wars basically so i've been watching a lot of like the films that were before the masterpieces so i can get a little bit more perspective there's a film that is really heavy i wouldn't recommend anybody watch it unless they can like tolerate heavy films but it's a really brilliant film i recently 
suggested my friend watch it and then he said it made him violently ill so just be <laughs> be warned but it's uh, called it's a brilliant film it's called snowtown or snowtown murders i think have you seen it by no Justin i have so Justin Kurzel, he um, he was my director on Assassin's Creed, the video, uh, not the video game, the movie adaptation from the video game. And before I worked on that film, I was like curious about him. So I looked up that film and I watched it and I was like floored, but I couldn't believe what I was watching. So it was really an intense film. But anyways, that was his debut film. And also the DOP was Adam Akapara, I think his name is, Akapara, mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, but he's, he's a cinematographer like Macbeth and, um, true detective season one and like he's got quite a, a list of incredible work as well um also the king which i don't know if you have you seen any of those films i've seen true, true detective and be a fan of the king i'm not familiar with um there's a lot of films with similar titles so it's hard to know which one's which yeah the king was like um it was the main actor was the guy that's the main lead from from dune the new dune movie so but uh, anyways, um, long story short is like I've basically I've been trying to engineer my expectations by observing and studying the beginning phases of these directors so I can see that their flaws and understand that it's like, okay, I'm going to have my own flaw. At the end of the day, what I've been really realizing, and I'm sure we have all gone through this, is like, you know, Fincher's going to do his thing, Stanley's going to do his thing, so on and so forth. Kurosawa's going to do his thing. It's like they, they all had to go out there and fail and succeed and learn and build a team to facilitate. So I have to do the same thing. It's a, it's, it's a hero's journey, really, you know, in the, the most corny way of expressing it. But it's like, yeah. there's no other way other than like, throw yourself in the fire, see what sticks, and then that's who you are. And then you evolve from there, you know? So it's trial by fire, really. And I've realized more, than, more so than ever, it's like, as much as I want to be like a lone wolf doing all the things, I realize that my art is only, it's only gets better if I have the right collaborators pushing Mm-hmm. you know so and I've, that's another lesson i'm learning <laughs> which is great it's just tr- very tricky so yeah i guess that's the diff- that is difficult when you spend your career being like like i said you're alone with your your skill and your craft is very much yours and then you go to this thing yeah. which is so big that like you can try and do it your own like I said, you're doing nearly everything yourself but like at some point it is a if, if it is your vision there's people who help you along the way i, I yeah. guess it's very hard to then like accept help right because and the problem is as well like with a lot of our fields as artists early on accepting help is you know people probably see it as a sign of weakness and it's like uh, a that's probably a, a silly notion anyway but with this one this because it's like you could try and do it yourself and you'll probably really damage yourself trying to do everything so it's like, yeah. like if you build that team up it's you're gonna get a much better product at the end of it and you're probably gonna be a better person for it at the end of it too like if you learn them mm-hmm. skills of you know the the, the sharing the creative burden um like it's very interesting like i've because i hear about how chris you know, chris chris nolan directed like a big fan of day um and his, the what following favorite chris nolan film oh the following no that's uh, his no first sorry one. no it's, it's my favorite one memento um yeah it, that's it great i just that it's another one i studied because it's kind of his debut film you know yeah but you want a trip man it's such a it's yeah. so in, I, I mean i've it's funny because um uh, he's there's i don't think there's many directors who get to be in his position i don't think there's many creatives in his position where he's just given such a license to not be normal oh yeah 100 percent. i mean yeah. uh, people like slam yeah. tenant and i'm like that's a thinking film like that's you like you or hate it as Very a heavy film yeah. yes and i, I love yeah. that sort of stuff but no so following it's interesting you talk about like solving 
problems with the meeting within your means. And you hear like how yeah. I love hearing Nolan talk about the following and what he had to deal with, like shot in black and white for practical reasons, like shot yeah. mainly outdoors or by windows for practical reasons. And it yep. adds so much to the, the the texture of the film that you sort of go, you almost forget about like you know the the reasons that the film is this way is for practical. Reasons. It's not because it is, like, it is initially an artistic decision. It's like oh yeah, we can't afford good cameras, so we're going to stick with black and white, or you know we can't afford good light rigs, so we're going to shoot by windows and, and in daytime all the time. And it's like them little thing. I love it. It's like you talk about um, creative, right? Like. You give a creative a blank page and it's like, it's really difficult. You give them a bunch of like boundaries to work in and problems and suddenly you start seeing the creative juices flowing and you get something really interesting. It yeah. turns out it happens with film. Okay, you don't get to, you have to shoot black and white. You don't have good lighting and then you create the following. And he did so much of it himself and it's like, it's very interesting seeing him go from movie to movie and yeah. the budget goes up and what he can do in the bounds on which he can operate go bigger and bigger. It, it is not, I don't know it, like I'm not as in the film world into this film world like so i don't know the directors who i get to expect like watch that story i've seen him talk at length like so much now about each of their movies and his career i want to watch more of our most directors because it's just it's so fascinating like oh yeah this decision we did here um you know it was because we didn't have the means we didn't have the thing so we had to do it that way and it's like yeah. huh i thought that was a creative decision you chose to do and it's like a creative moment of brilliance and it's it's so i find that fascinating yeah, it's 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 a necessity is the mother of invention. It's like um, mm. filmmaking is constantly evolving with chaos. You can plan all day long, but then you know you you write a script page, you write a page, and it's like sunny day, blah blah blah, and you had shot it and thought of it, and then boom, mother mother nature runs rain on you, and you're like, okay, well shit, you know, it's like mm. it's like you you know it's it's the adage it's on all these things. It's like you know when like when when Luke Skywalker's on Hoth and he's running through the snow, that was like they just opened the hotel room because there was a snowstorm and they just had Luke out in the snow and they just shot it through the door. You know, it's like there's all these things that you just when you're making these things, you have to almost step outside of your body and your mind and kind of interact with these things in a more pragmatical way. Uh And it's a, it's an alchemy, you know, and even the best of minds, like, you know, James Cameron, who's a movie machine that's made incredible films. Even he explains that it's like a a lightning in a bottle. So it's, it's almost like the Mount Everest, you know, it's like the, you know, can we climb it and how can we climb it? So on and so forth, you know, so it's, it's quite a quest and, and, and that's rad that you studied um, Nolan because it's cool that he's documented and he's blessed to have live in a, in a generation that he's been able to, to be documented and stuff too. And he's made quite, you know, there's only a couple of directors really now that I feel that people are willing to give that freedom mm-hmm. and it's him and like Danny Villeneuve probably and stuff like that. But there's so many amazing movies that are being made that like really nobody knows about. I've been getting into a lot of like nineties Japanese movies and like, it's, I mean, it's cool to see th- films from a different culture, especially one that I really love because like, I love Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. So, um, like I watched, there's a mo- movie that my friend Anthony turned me on to, which I think is incredibly brilliant called Cure by this next director's name, Kurosawa. It's not the original Kurosawa, it's another Kurosawa, but mm-hmm. it's called Cure. He also did a movie called Pulse, I believe. It's a horror film. Back when like The Ring and all that stuff was going off and, and Grudge and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if you've ever watched those, but. I think that was like that whole trend that was happening, but cure is like, um, like seven, but seen through the eyes of, of a Japanese culture, which is really cool. So, but 
the more I get into movies, the less I kind of absorb the, the the mantra of the current day, and I kind of obsess about the past or the niche, because the niche kind of gives me those weird subtleties, you know. But at the end of the day, like I said, what I'm having to understand is like I might not have a style like any director that I've ever seen and loved, and I have to love myself basically and be okay with like not shooting like as concise as Fincher, for example, or. Mm-hmm. Um, the pay, my pacing might not be like um, what's the guy that made that? Oh man, what are those movies called? He has like the really kinetic energy of editing. Um, he's a he's a British guy. I forget his name. He, not snatch, but it's the same same kind of thing where they like they edit and cut. They have a, you oh, know you for baby driver. You feel the style. Yeah, 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 yeah. You feel Edgar, the style. You feel the style. Yeah, the baby Edgar driver right. guy. But yeah, yeah, I'd be right. right. Yeah, yeah, super super rad in such a style or like even like um. Sheesh, I'm on a roll today. I'm totally drawing a blank. This is a night podcast, by the way, guys. So like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's almost one here. But like, what's his name? He's like, he does like the Royal Tenenbaums and stuff like that. Like he has a real unique style, um, Royal oh, Tenenbaums sure. and, and Rushmore and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's like a very unique style, but um, so horrible. I'm like saying his knowing his name, but anyways, I, you know, like that's what I really love when I watch a film and I really feel the director's voice. You can because you can go and watch like a a mass media kind of film, and you're like, okay, well, like I, I see, it, I fell a little bit from that film, a little bit from that film, but like, where's the director's voice in here? You know, like, yeah, where, yeah. What's shaking, shaking me to the core here? And not everything is designed like that. It's not like I think it's a flawed thing. It's just you it's know, that's thing. what I'm looking for. Yeah, and and that's very incredibly nuanced, right? Like I'm a, an aspiring director, so I'm looking for that. Whereas a normal moviegoer is just like. I want to check out of my brain for a little bit and stop thinking about work or man that's yeah. that's like that with um since I've been getting into it like sort of reading upon it more and getting into it and like it's very like I said it's so nuanced and it's like you look at something like Terrence Malick films and it's like you mm. you can't that's not a movie you go to as a movie go for just sit there for some entertainment you have to like sit and think about what like you know the, the story is in the nuance like the just shots he chooses the camera motions like the perspectives just like you, that's not a movie for entertainment. That's like a, a, a it's not. I don't want to say a piece of art. That sounds so pretentious. But like, it's a learning though. piece. Yeah, it's like you watch any yeah. of this stuff, and it's like you know, the, and it's no small. Like me and feel like yeah, there's big A list actors in these films, and you could you really kind of feel what he's trying to do with it, and it's not normal. It's not necessarily quote unquote enjoyable. Like it's not. You can't mm. just sit and watch it. Um, yeah. And I think that's probably why something like, you know, even though Tenant is very much in the mainstream, or yeah, you know, even Inception to a certain degree, it's like they're the closest thing to their movies where like, okay, you have to you can't just sit and switch off, you have to think a little bit and like give a little bit back as the audience would go out. And that's probably why, you know, something like Tenant didn't do as well um in the blockbusters, because it's like, yeah, we're yeah. we're asking something of the audience. It's not like a Marvel movie where it's like you get to go switch off and like, that's you interacting with it. We were like, Tenant, you you as an audience have to give back. And if you don't, you won't enjoy the movie and you'll think it's a bad movie. And yeah. that's a whole different subset, subcategory of cinema. And it's like, mm-hmm. again, it's so nuanced where like only really people who are into it can enjoy it and get it. And like, I'm not yeah. by any means suggesting that I'm into it. I watch a Terrence Malick movie and I'm like, I don't get what's going on. Like I'm, I'm trying really you? hard to think, it, think about it. Yeah, you shouldn't really, I think, too, and that's kind of the point. It's like, yeah, it's so it's so nuanced that, um, you might watch it 
when you're 20 and then you might watch it when you're 30 and you might mm. watch it when you're 50 and by the time you get 50 you might go oh okay i've had a pretty full life here and i've experienced a lot of things and now i'm starting to click with what the hell he's trying to say here you know <laughs> so i think with his movies it's like yeah because of that you know and i you know that's the thing it's the tom york thing it's like you know i don't think that when i mean who knows right uh whether these directors have these intentions in the beginning or there's a brilliance un- unknown of them doing it some mm-hmm. directors you know manufacture these things like i know i can really feel it in, in nolan's work i feel like he's trying to make mouse traps left and right to like get you stuck in there or even like shane caru's film like have you seen primer it's no, one of the most complicated time story ever you should watch that too because that was another story a film i watched because it was like his debut film and he wrote it and 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 acted in it and directed primer. it. Primer, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a classic. It's good. It's but it's the most complicated time movie I think that I know of. So and I watched a lot of movies. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's get ready for the to for your mind to melt because it's in multiple time li- lines basically, and it all kind of pivots and shifts. So it's really cool. But anyways, um, you know, some some directors I think they have that, but. There's always an intention, you know, so, but long story short, that's literally the quest that I'm after now. And if I'm successful in about six months then, or, or less, then I'll have something to show for it. I at least know that the cinematography will look good. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and the visual effects would be cool and the world would be interesting. And like, cause I got really obsessed when I was a young kid, I used to read a lot of short stories. I was big on the short stories. I didn't have the patience at a young age to like, really handle like a long book you know it's one of the first long books that i read was like the hobbit that was like yeah. a big milestone for me because i read it when i was like i don't know eight or nine or something like that but it, it was a lot for me to really dedicate and once you you know once you fall into books at that level you just kind of you want all the books you know mm-hmm. so it opened up the field gates but when i was younger i love short stories because i love the ambiguity i love the open ending and all that kind of stuff i'm falling back in love with it i'm just doing it myself now by making short films I'm just doing that same thing. I'm trying to make these worlds and stories. That it's like, oh, that's weird. Like a story that I'd read by Mobius and like heavy metal or something. It's like, what did that even mean? But it's like years later, I'll think about that one scene in that comic. And like, that was so cool. You know, I didn't need closure on that world. So that's literally what I'm doing now with my two short stories. It's like, they're just designed to not be this perfect thing. They're this weird puzzle that when you watch it, you should be like, what the hell? <laughs> that's interesting you know like yeah so i'm keeping my expectations pretty low with it and i'm just trying to make the best thing that i can and and pushing every effort that i can and chipping away at that that puzzle every day so yeah and i'm employing every tool that i've ever used ever now so it's like and and like really squeezing sharpening that sword and yeah like i mean because like before i did this i would just have like oh i'd have a friend i'd be like can you shoot this but then i realized oh i'm a director that likes to shoot i like to see it because i'm a visual guy so like give me the camera and i don't need to ask you i'll just grab the camera and shoot it so that eliminates that and i like to write in a certain way i write kind of like in chapters i was i thought that was a weird thing that i wrote like that and i was studying taxi driver and I watched, I listened to the writer and he said that he writes like that. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm not alone. And yeah, that yeah. film is brilliant. That film's fucking brilliant. So it's like, but anyways, I'm rambling on. It's because it's my next obsession really. So, and it's actually an obsession that I've had my entire life. I'm 38 years old now. And, you know, I had 
set a goal by the time I hit 40 to, to do something with mo- with a movie. So I'm still trying to stick to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting there. So, yeah. I have to say, I do. That's, uh, I'm excited. Honestly, hearing you talk about it, it's the, it, the kind of feeling I get where, like, when I listen to, you know, when I listen to Nolan, I'm curious to see now, like, because when you listen to Nolan talk about, like, say, the following, I have the following to look at and go, oh, I could see what he's talking about. So yeah. I am really, really excited for when these movies come out to just, like, to listen to this again and <laughs> then watch it and go, oh, yeah. that's what he was talking about and this is where that, that line of thinking was. I think that's going to be an extremely enjoyable experience and I'm glad to have the opportunity because that's going to be... That's gonna be something. That's that's. It's crazy to think about actually. Like, yeah, the, you always think talking about something in the future, and it's gonna be curious to live this back and see how yeah. that actually pans out. Um, yeah, I might not ever make anything. Who knows? I might go and make it and come to the edit booth and have cold feet and be like, "This all sucks." I give up on it, you know. So, and or or it'll be worth saving and it'll work, and you know, it won't be a perfect thing, but. You know, I'm trying like right now I'm doing so much due diligence. You know, a lot for me is I'm learning that the way that I work is I'm very methodical. Everything is planned and considered and thought of as uh-huh. much as I can. So like like you know, like I said, like I'm going out there to the location and scouting and filming and running through the things. So I have all the blocking. So I have all this reconnaissance, I have all this information. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make it so that I'm in a p- position of comfort and success. So that when I come, because, you know, films are made in three stages for the most part. They're the idea script stage, and then we have the shooting and production stage, and then you have the editing stage. Uh-huh. Those are three, and the film can change dramatically between those three stages, you know, like, and, and you can't go, you, you can't really go backwards. You can only go forwards through that process, you know? So, and so, you know, a film that's that written is, has its own thing. And then, then you, you cast a certain actor and then, whoa the words change uh-huh. i read the script i read parts of the script to this to sicario because i was really curious to see if benicio was supposed to say more things because i love that he didn't when i read tyler sheridan's i think is, is he's the writer he's a brilliant writer the script was incredible and i read it and on the page benicio has this whole line of dialogue like a paragraph you know blah 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 all this when you watch the movie benicio just looks and that's it. And I yeah. thought it's amazing. But that's because Benicio is, you know, legend and he can do that. And he has that gravity. You don't need to, but yeah, that film. And that's, a, that's another thing that I have a problem. So I just don't watch those films because they're so perfect that uh-huh. it makes me very uh, insecure. <laughs> yeah, It's like, it's like, you know, you're starting out with concept art, you're doing your first piece and then you go to look at say, the Mona Lisa or something, uh-huh. you know, you're learning portraiture and then you go and look at that and you go, okay, well I'm crushed because that's quite brilliant, you know? So, <laughs> or anything in the Louvre, you know? So anyways, I'm trying to control my emotions from perfection and striving for it, but not letting it be the end all be all because I think this is, I, um, this might be a good thing for, to, for people. I was like, I was listening to the, the writer's commentary for a true detective season one specifically and it was a really great little youtube video and he basically what he said is like look because i think the person asked what's your advice to like younger artists and writers and creatives and stuff like that because i don't know if you know the story but really quickly he wrote a short he wrote a film and or he wrote a book 
And then he wanted to make a TV show. And then he went and talked to his producer and like, oh, you need to write a script. And then he wrote a script. And that script happened to be brilliant. He wrote like six scripts and one of them got picked up. That was True Detective. Um, so anyways, long story short, as he said, in paraphrasing, he said like, there's a lot of brilliant people out there. They're already doing that thing. Let them do that thing. Don't ape them. Don't copy them. Be your own mm-hmm. version. And that also feeds to the ecosystem. I mean, who is Roger Deakins going to be influenced by if everybody's just copying Roger Deakins? You know, mm-hmm. he needs to be inspired too. He can't just be inspired by the past. He needs to be inspired by the new guys, you know, like the Greg Frazier's and all this kind of stuff too. So long story short is it's like, it's a part of the puzzle and it's also part of the, the um, economy basically of uh-huh. making things great. So I'm on a tangent here, but it all kind of connects. So I, I yeah. like that though, the idea of like sort of feeding into the ecosystem. Because I, I mean, that applies to nearly every single field. Like you can have an artist who's got 20 years deep into an industry, and then it's you know an artist for five years, and it's like you can still be inspired by the young, especially in this industry, tech industry, because like software moves and changes so much. I mean, there's not I don't think yeah. many fields out there where like a junior can have more information and more answers than a senior sometimes because they know the new software they know the new thing and that's what we need right now you, know, you go to yeah. mo- most of the fields like you know law or banking or accounting or whatever i imagine that the ways of doing things tend to be far more stagnant or not stagnant but still um so the severity is quite different yeah. yeah and i like the idea yeah. of it's a very nice i think it's something probably quite hard for the more exp- the person who's at the end of the spectrum higher end of the spectrum to go, oh, yeah, like I could be inspired by somebody with like, 15 or 10, 20 years less experience than me, even though I've got like these many shipped games or movies. But yeah. it, you yeah. know, when you see brilliance, you see brilliance. When you see great art, you see great art. It doesn't matter where it comes yeah. from. And I think that's a very yeah. nice way. Th- it's a good way of thinking about it. Like, it's a healthy way of thinking about it. They're like, it's yeah. just, it's, it's good art and you can be inspired by good art despite it being from a new guy who's, you know, it's his first ever movie or from, you know, a, a 50 year veteran who you know is essentially cultivated all of our norms in cinema like all games or whatever creative medium it's a good way of thinking about it because it's very easy to get caught up in your own ego and be like i can't be inspired by that because they're superficially beneath me because i've got more experience or i've done more yeah. it's uh yeah, I imagine it's, it's easy to get stuck into that for those you know the greats i imagine it's True. easy to get caught up in your own hype um Maybe I guess you'd have to ask them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, one day. Yeah, I don't think that's what makes somebody great is to is their egos in the way. I always that was one thing I always remarked on as every interview that I heard of like Stanley Kubrick, love love him or hate him. It's like he definitely was a very special director. But like I found, I always heard that he was always asking questions and very mm-hmm. curious. And to me, that makes me excited because like even at his later age, before he passed away, when he was making like Eyes Wide Shut. I remember hearing that he was like always asking questions, not in a, like, you know, he was just a student of life, you know? And like, Oh, why is that? And what does that mean? And it's like, it's so cool to know that like somebody at his level was asking questions to probably some people are like, dude, is this guy dumb? You know, like, why is he asking yeah. these stupid questions? But just absorbing, you know, and taking in the data and the information working with it, you know? So I think a curious mind and a and a mind that asks the right questions is the one that's thriving and the one that's growing, you know. So and never too big for any question, you know. So and to ask them, that's how you stay educated, really, you know. So it's like if you're not learning, you're dying, you know. Especially in our industry, it's like yeah, if you're not learning, like you're really in a bad position because like, and there's only so much time that you have, but you should be dedicating as much of it as possible to like learning 
and honing your craft, you know, and you really have to love it because it's incredibly saturated and very competitive, you know? So mm. I think, yeah. the, um, Dude, I think that's a perfect point to, to finish up on. No, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I know we've gone on longer than I expected. It just, when the conversation's great, great going, conversation. it's going. Um, yeah. And again, a super late view. Right? Uh, so I, 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 I'm I totally appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, you know, like I said, I can't wait to see what comes from you in the future. Like, I, I'm very, very excited, you know, whatever happens. Um Pressure's on. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, I appreciate it. No, I, it's 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 very kind of you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I mean, everyone listening, as same as always, like you know, do the like, follow, share, subscribe, because the more the the podcast gets shared, the more the people get to learn from the fantastic information that people like Ash have to share. So we're gonna wrap up. I'll catch everyone next time. Ash, it's been an absolute pleasure. Peace out. Thank you guys so much.